The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Genesis chapter number 12 and verse number 1, and this is Abraham's call and also God's promise to him. So we find there, Genesis 12, verse number 1, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land I, that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Amen. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And obviously that happens through the promise and the fulfillment of the Messiah. And certainly in Jesus Christ, we're all blessed, right? Amen. And so we run over to uh, Genesis chapter number 15 and verse number 1. And after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield. Notice that I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Isn't God good? And that's what he is uh, to them. And so he goes on through this chapter to form a covenant with, with Abraham. And it's an amazing, really an amazing thing uh, that, that God does with Abraham and just all the promise that he's giving to him. And so as we come into Genesis as a book, um, we are looking at a book that really highlights God as the covenant God. And I want to just go over that for a moment. Remember what it says in Luke 24 and verse number 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In the Old Testament, we have an absolute mess. God creates a wonderful, wonderful place for man to dwell in. Man messes it up and proves to God, proves to the world that man is a mess without God. Over and over it happens again, and we need God's grace. We come into the Gospels, we find that God has an answer to our mess, doesn't he? He certainly does, and that's in the name of Jesus Christ. And as we come through the end of the New Testament, God is just uh, showing us the outflow of the life that we can have in Jesus Christ. And so he, began, he further explains it, but it all starts back in Genesis with a covenant God. This, the big idea of Genesis is that God is, has holy love, he has a faithful heart, despite all the frailties and the falls of humanity. God consistently loves. God has a faithful heart. And as we see Genesis, it covers the largest portion uh, of time uh, of a book in the, uh, in the Old Testament. It covers uh, somewhere from around uh, in chapter number 11, 2100 um, B.C. Um, give me that, uh, that timeline, 2100 B.C. Um, Abraham uh, was born in 2166, and so uh, it covers uh, from creation to 2100, if creation is... Uh, uh, at about uh, four or six thousand um, before that, uh, Abraham at 2166, it covers all the way up into the 1800 um, BCs. And so uh, it covers a large um, portion of, of time. The first 11 chapters are early, early history of humanity, and it's just, I mean, it's just moving. We include the flood in that time, it's moving. God is dealing with, uh, with his people. We come to Genesis chapter number 12, where we just started, and it's kind of that, that transition as God begins to not just deal with all of humanity and with this large group, God is dealing with a family. Now, not a perfect family. We went through that last week, not a perfect family at all. 
In fact, over and over, God's showing us the, all their flaws and all their messes. I mean, we went down through that. Uh, Abraham gives his wife away twice. What a, what, a, what, a, what a loving man that that guy is. And, uh, and God is, cares about these individuals. In Genesis chapter 18, verse number 18, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him and so god is is focusing in on this family and through him the israelite nation comes so genesis 12 uh, ver, uh, chapter number 50 is god dealing with this family and bringing them to uh to a position of of prominence in the world this family is growing in a huge way and we end genesis with this genesis 49 and verse number 18 i have waited for thy salvation o lord jacob declares that as he's giving the final blessings to his son i've waited for thy salvation the first time the word salvation comes up in the bible is right there in genesis 49 and before we're out of the first book, we have God creating everything perfect, man messing it up royally, but God as a, 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 with holy love and a faithful heart saying, I am going to be thy salvation. And it, the book does not end before we see a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ in Joseph. Joseph, who was sent down into the world. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Sent down into the world uh, by the crooked actions of his brothers. And he's there and he rises the power and he is used by God to save his people, to save his family from the famine, to save his people from the, the famine. And what a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph is a picture of Jesus, the Redeemer. And so Genesis provides us with a foundational framework of understanding of who we are, where we came from, what's wrong with us, right? What's wrong with us? Who God is, how he relates to us, what his eternal plan, what his eternal promises are, why we're here, what we're doing here, where we're going. All these things are answered in the book of Genesis. And as I mentioned last week, the ministry of Ken Ham and Answers in Genesis is such a strategic ministry. And by the way, such a hated ministry. Why? Because it deals with such foundational truths. That's why the Creation Museum is, is not liked. That's why people would go out and protest the Creation Museum. Why? Leave it alone. But no, because it, it represents truth found in the book of Genesis. Genesis gives a worldview that lays a foundation for the rest of the Bible. So we, we do ourselves well to understand the book of Genesis. Go back and listen to the message from last week, because I'm not going to go through every, uh, every part that we covered, but I wanted just to kind of give the cliff notes. 1 through 11, God creating, man sinning, God judging the world as we come through, through, uh, through the flood. Genesis 12 through 50, we kind of have it focusing in on the family of Abraham and the, the uh, Jacob and Isaac and, and so on and Joseph. And what an amazing ride that it is. But if we, if we boil it all down, God is a covenant God. Because we find in Genesis chapter number 15 and verse 17, flip back there with me, and I want to just underscore this again. I hope you didn't miss this last week. Because God forms a covenant with, with Abraham. And uh, as we think of this covenant-keeping God, this covenant God that's revealed in the book of Genesis, we re remind ourselves that these two words, loving and legal, loving and legal, two words that we need to uh, think about. I love you so much that I will legally obligate myself to you is what God says. God is so loving and man is so broken by sin that God opts to hold up both sides, both his side, and man's side. And we see that in the book of Genesis, chapter number 15, in verse 17. 
there was an Eastern manner of making covenants. Both contracting parties passed between the divided pieces of a slain animal and thus symbolically attesting that they pledged their very lives to the fulfillment of the engagement that they had just made. And so in Genesis chapter 15, God has an animal that is, that is split, but the only thing is, God did not meet Abraham halfway in the midst. God walked all the way through. And that's exactly what he did for us in Jesus Christ. We had no ability to save ourselves. He fully paid the whole way. And God fully is, uh, is offering to us something that is, by his grace, a beautiful covenant in Jesus Christ, which is what this picture is. It's what God was doing with Abraham. Before we even get out of this book where man has so messed up what God has created, God is saying, I will provide a way of salvation for you, and I'm willing to go all the way. Not halfway, I'm willing to go all the way. Aren't you thankful Jesus went all the way for you? Amen. And praise the Lord. We can, we can rejoice on that on a Thursday, right? And if your, day, uh, if your week hasn't gone real well, we can rejoice on these facts. And so that leads us into the book of Exodus where we learn about a redeeming God. This God who is willing to go all the way for us wants to redeem us. And so this book, up picks up, uh, this book Exodus, picks up in about 1500 B.C. and covers about 80 years of critical history. And if you'll remember this date, 1446 B.C. is the, the date that we've, uh, we've established. And I, can, I told you last week, I can give you a, a paper on that if you're interested in, in, that, in that paper that kind of brings a date from a very fixed, uh, a fixed point in time back to 1446 B.C. That's actually a little bit of a contested date. But there is, there is, there is actual solid evidence for, um, for that date, 1446 um, BC for the Exodus when they came out of uh, when they came out of uh, Egypt. So the big idea of Exodus is all around the story of redemption and them coming out of Egypt and God redeeming this people out of the world Egypt back to Himself. And it's a beautiful picture. Exodus 14 and verse 13. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will show to you. The, uh, uh, today for the Egyptians who ye have seen today ye shall see them again no more forever by the way God was able to take care of the Egyptian army right he can take care of Hamas and all the others I mean they they should read history right here and God was able to do it then he can take care of them now Exodus 15 verse 2 the Lord is my strength and my song he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him an habitation, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. So there's two parts of the book of Exodus that we need to remember as we break down this book and overview it. The first part is chapters 1 through 18. God is delivering and redeeming his people out of Egypt. Epic story. I mean, you talk about the 10 plagues, just one after another, and you're like, Pharaoh, won't you get it? Come on, uh, wake up, smell the coffee, get it, and let the people go already. But no, 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 he just kept on hardening his heart. He made that choice, and then God hardened his heart. And so we have the, that story in on chapters 1 through 18, but chapters 20 through 40, God gives the 10 commandments, and he establishes a tabernacle worship system for his people, and he is working with his people to bring them to himself and to establish a relationship, a personal relationship with him. But chapter number 19 connects the two, the two pieces of Exodus together. So you look at that as the link where God meets at Mount Sinai with Moses and God is inviting Israel into a relationship with him. You know, by the, 
what's amazing even in our own lives, you have the before Christ and after Christ, and you have that moment where you've met God. And what a beautiful thing that that is, where you've realized God's law, you've realized that you've sinned against God's law, and that became real in your life. Do you remember the day of your salvation where you came to realize you were a sinner and God's law was clearly revealed and you clearly realized, ah, that's me? That's that Exodus 19. The law was, uh, was revealed and it connects. God is working to establish a personal relationship with his people. So the story is as you open Exodus, the family of, of Abraham has grown in an incredible way. So much so that the world power of the day was afraid that they would be overcome by the Israelites, that they would, uh, they would outpopulate them. And so as we come into Egypt, we see them re, uh, reproducing so rapidly. Pharaoh has enslaved them lest they be overtaken by the Israelites. And so he begins to kill the firstborn, and, or kill, uh, kill the children, and so on. Kill the newborn sons. And here's what really intrigues me. You know the story of Moses, his mom, a very bold lady, one woman, one woman is noted in scripture as standing up against that and hiding her newborn son. Now, I want us just to think about that, because sometimes we might wonder, what can we do in the midst of all the crookedness and absolute evil? Be that one woman, be that one man. Be that one person that stands up and does right. And, and maybe no one else sees it. And maybe you fly under the radar like she did. But the fact is she stood up, she did the right thing. And notice God allows this, uh, the, the, uh, this to, to transpire in this way. She puts uh, Moses down in the, uh, in the, in the, uh, in the water, in the uh, bulrushes, uh, in this basket that she has made. And Pharaoh's daughter just so happens to find Moses. What an amazing story. Not coincidence at all. God is superintending all this as a young man, as he grows up in the house of Pharaoh. By the way, he was taught like Timothy from an early child, the things of God. How did he know about God? How did he know about, uh, uh, about uh, following after God and obeying? Why he was allowed to be brought up by his mother uh, from an early age. And then he goes to the, to the house of Pharaoh and he's brought up in that place among riches, no doubt immorality, rampant sin, and yet, yet Moses still was a man that understood who God was, and God was able to, to, at the right time, call him specifically and use him in such a marvelous way. And what an amazing, there's so many little truths in this, but to me, this one mom that stands up and is bold to be the one, but then teaches from a, from a child, we don't know, we don't know the impact of our Bible teaching on our children. We don't know, and we don't know what they're going to face. I hear people say things like, well, I, I, don't, I don't know that I want to bring children in into this kind of world. We don't know who we're bringing into the world right now. We don't know if it's the deliverer, the next evangelist that um, God's going to use to shake a, a continent. We don't know. And I'm sure it wasn't really, I, I'm sure it crossed Moses' mother's mind. Well, I don't know if I want to, you know, this is kind of a, a, a dangerous thing. No, look how God used Moses. And uh, so be faithful to teach like, uh, like her, not knowing how it's all going to turn out. And so God, God uh, calls Moses as Moses encounters him at the burning bush, remember? <laughs> he, he encounters God, 
And he says, I don't want to do this. I can't speak. And you know how that whole scenario goes. And he's trying to push, um, push off God's call. But he finally submits to God's call. And he goes back with his brother Aaron and is this duo that's going up to Pharaoh. And persistently, God keeps sending them back, keeps sending them back. And you remember who God said, I, I, I want you to say, when you go there and he asks, who sent you? You say, I am that I am. Jehovah God sent me. And what does Pharaoh say? Who is the Lord to me? Like, I mean, the exact same talk that we hear in the, on this day. Uh, Mr. Jerry Nadler, what is the will of God to, uh, uh, what concerns the will of God to this Congress? You know, that same talk that goes on even in this day. The same talk was going on there with Pharaoh. And so we find as he goes back and back, Exodus 6 and verse number 6, Wherefore are say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. And God did that. That night God took the every last firstborn child in, um, in Egypt. There was a great cry that spread across the land. Those, those believers that those followers of God that put the blood on their, uh, on their doorposts, those Israelites, the Bible says the death angel passed over them, and that's where we get the word Passover from. And so he passed, um, passed over, and they celebrated in that night the first Passover, the blood of the lamb, the meal, the blood on the doorposts, those homes uh, were saved. What a picture of God's grace. God's just over and over demonstrating how he's going to redeem over. I mean, the Bible is so full of it. Now, here's the thing. Pharaoh's hardened his heart over and over. You say, it says in, in the Bible that, that God hardened his heart. And I just want to remind, uh, remind us tonight that Pharaoh first hardened his heart and said, who is the Lord? Sometimes people say, well, why would a holy God, why a loving God send people to hell? No one goes to hell but those that didn't choose to go there first. And Pharaoh was in that situation where he, he chose to harden his heart. God allowed uh, his heart to be hardened even more, and he was unrepentant in his evil. And I'm telling you, God allowed his arrogance, his pride, to lead him right into an illogical situation. Think about this. He's chasing the children of Israel out. They're going through the Red Sea. There's walls of water. This looks safe. <laughs> Right? I mean, apart from knowing who God is and the power of God, this looks safe. You know, I don't, I don't know if I'd be go, I'm walking through there if I didn't know God. But he walks right through there and sends his army right through the midst of this. God lured and used his power to lure uh, evil uh, into its own destruction. You know, God's, God still does that today. They get drunk with their power, and God leads them right into destruction. We don't know what God's doing in our, in our world today. We don't know how the story is going to end, but we need to stay faithful to the Lord and continue to follow him. So the, the, the Israelites follow, or Pharaoh follows the Israelites into the Red Sea. They're gone. Chapter number 15, moving on here, the nation of Israel sings their first worship song from their present experience. They weren't just singing out of a hymnal and saying, you know, some, uh, someone else's song. This was their song. They were rejoicing. Read chapter 15 sometime. It's an amazing worship song to the Lord. Things go bad very quickly. What happens? The people begin to complain. It's amazing how fast we forget God's goodness, isn't it? I mean, within a week's time, within a day's time sometimes. Uh, and they're forgetting, and 
they stop worshiping God in their hearts and the rest of the story, especially as we go through the, uh, the Pentateuch, we have over and over this scenario where the, uh, God is good, he delivers them, he helps them, and they complain. They forget God's goodness. Psalm 78 is full of uh, that story. And then we come to chapter number 19, God invites this complaining, murmuring group of people into a personal relationship with him. I have something to reveal of myself to you. I'm going to reveal my laws to you. I'm going to reveal myself to you. He invites them into a personal, unique relationship. Through this relationship, he would cause them to be a light to all the nations. That's what he wanted. That's what his goal was. And so he's inviting them into this. And the story is of how God rescued his people. He began to organize them into a nation, lead them into a land that he had prepared for them. And the story recounts Israel's early responses to God. And oftentimes the wrong responses. We can learn a lot from them. As we think of Israel and as we read of Israel, just remember this. Israel is a picture of the New Testament believer. How God dealt with them as a nation is how God deals with you as an individual New Testament believer. And so what a, what a thing to watch and to observe. Exodus 19 and verse number 5. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. The Bible tells us later in the New Testament, you are a chosen generation. You are a peculiar people. And what a, what a picture it is. So we come to, uh, after uh, chapter 19, this, this invitation from God to come to himself in a personal relationship. Chapters 20 through 24, God sets down the laws for national behavior. Here's what I expect of you. Here's my Ten Commandments. Here's other laws. This is how I want you to act. God reveals himself. And yes, the law of God reveals much about God himself. We do well not to pass over the laws and, and to uh, be disgruntled against them. The law of God is very important. The Ten Commandments, the Bible says later on in the book of Galatians, is a schoolmaster that leads us to, uh, to repentance. It's important. God needed to reveal his law. Without the law, we would not have the knowledge of sin. Right? By the way, without the law in our gospel witness, people don't have the knowledge of sin. There must be the telling of the law. You are a sinner and here's why. Here's what God says. It's not, you're not sinning against me or a church. You're sinning against God. This is what you must know. And so we bring them back to the Ten Commandments, how important it is. All, uh, all the basic definition of good and of sin or of evil is given here in the law. In fact, 1 John uh, 4 and verse number 3, 3 and verse number 4 says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is transgression of the law. So God was giving the law. He was laying down him, his, he was revealing himself. This is what I want. This is what I expect of you. In this same chapter, or in this same section, I should say, Exodus chapter 23. Look at verse number 30 with me. Exodus 23 and verse number 30. Again, this is just, we're taking that 5,000 foot view, flyby of these, of, these, uh, of these books of the Bible. And this is what we'll be doing as we go through. Exodus chapter number 23, it says, by little and little I will drive them out from before thee. What's he saying? Uh, the land that I'm going to give you, I'm going to drive out the inhabitants. Remember, Genesis told us that the cup of their iniquity wasn't yet full. So while they were in Egypt, 
their cup of iniquity before God um, became full, and now God was sending in his people into the land of Canaan, into the promised land to drive them out as an act of judgment towards them and as their inheritance. Isn't God amazing how he works all these things together? And he is. So here, he's given the Ten Commandments, he's given the law, and now he's saying, listen, hold up, as I've just given this to you, just make sure that you remember that you are to be a separate people unto me. You're to drive these people out. And he actually teaches them the doctrine of separation right within their own land from the heathen that are in their land. He says, I'm going to drive them out little by little until thou be increased and inherit the land. Verse 31, and I will set thy bounds from the Red Sea, even unto the Sea of the Philistines and from the desert unto the river. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand and thou shalt drive them out. Thou shalt make no covenant with them nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in thy land, lest they make thee to sin against me. For if thou serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto thee. And so what is God saying? Hey, I'm going to give you a land. Here's the boundaries. And you make sure that you don't commingle with them and make covenants with them. Why? Because if you do, you're going to sin against me. And right where he gives his law, he also says, I want you to remember the doctrine of separation. You need this. And by the way, that's where we get personal separation even today. It's important to us, not just that the church remains separate from those that deny certain doctrines, but that we personally are separate from the ways of the world and that we walk in a holy way. So I have this picture up here uh, to help us just to remind us what's going on in our world right now today. According to Genesis chapter 15, verse number 18, and Genesis, uh, Exodus chapter 23 and verse number 31, the Bible gives us the bounds that he promised to the land of Israel. Do you see that red? Do you see how much is promised by God to the nation of Israel? That's the promised land. Do you see what they occupied, the little blue? And you see how everyone's so upset about that little blue? That's amazing. That's what God promised to these people. Now, they had the responsibility to drive them out. In Solomon's time, they did occupy much of that area, but they still had the heathen within the land. And according to God's word, just as God said, the heathen would be a constant thorn in your side if you do not drive out sin in your life, if you do not drive out the heathen from your land, there it's going to be a constant vexation in your life. And God's word always comes true. And over and over through on their history, all the heathen they allowed to stay in the land, those that they did not drive out as God told them to, became a constant vexation to them. And it's still the same true in our life today. When we do not push out the sin and deal with the sin in our lives, it will vex us, it will torment us, it will be a problem for us over and over. It's just a little sin. It's just a little group of people. Yep, that's what they said too. And they always grew to be big people. Sin has a tendency to grow. That's why the Bible calls it leaven. Yeast. <laughs> Yeast just grows. It makes the, the bread grow, and, and, and it airs it up, and, and that's exactly what sin is in our life. So if you want to learn more about what God gave them, Exodus 23, 31, and Genesis 15, verse number 18, from the Nile River all the way to the the great euphrates that's really the boundary that is there from egypt the nile river all the way up to the great euphrates all the way over into iraq isn't that amazing and they don't want them to have the land they have right now <laughs> they will not be happy until they're obliterated and god has something to say about that i'm sure um so 
I wanted us to think about that. Let's race through the last chapters here. Chapter 25 through 31, God begins after he's given them the law. He's told them to remain separate from the people, push out the, the, the heathen in the land, push them out, remain separate. Chapters 25 through 31, he gives instructions for the tabernacle. What's he doing? He's establishing a system of regular worship for his people. I'm calling you to myself. I'm telling you who I am through the law, and now here's how I want you to worship me. And he gave them detailed in instructions for the, for the construction of the tabernacle. Now, I want us to see the tabernacle. It was a tent. It's not like the, the temple that Solomon built. It is a tent, and here is, here's kind of a, a, a mock-up of that. But what's even more amazing is as God dealt with his people, he wanted this to be put right in the center of camp. Give me the next picture. And notice how that God... Uh, and the next one, you see how they're all, they're all kind of based around the, the tabernacle. Right in the center, we have the tabernacle, and God had his people, the camp, organized. By the way, God's a God of order, isn't he? Isn't that interesting? That's why he tells us, let all things be done decently in order. That's how we ought to act in the church, right? With royal decorum. God had order to how he set up the, the camp all the way around. What was he saying? I want my presence to be right in the midst of your camp. I want it to be front and center. What's he saying to you and I? The first thing in your life better be knowing and acknowledging and walking in the presence of God. That's the first, that's the first priority of your life. I've been telling my son this, on this week, you can win a lot of things, you can be a lot of things to a bunch of people, but if you're not winning with God, you're nothing. And that's what, exactly what he's saying. The tabernacle's right in the center. He's teaching them an important lesson that everything is to be focused on the presence and the, the authority of God. He was establishing a theocracy, a nation ruled and led by God, and even their camp was ordered to reflect that. Genesis, uh, Exodus 32 through 34, the plan is halted because as Moses is up on the mountain, he comes down, he hears the sound of war. What was it? They were supposed to be singing. They're singing the heathen, the heathen songs as they're dancing in the heathen ways and sinning and uh, committing fornication with one another. What a, what a wicked thing that um, uh, Moses came down to. And no, uh, Moses throws down the, the, uh, the, the, the uh, tablets. And uh, what, what an awful thing that happened on that day. Aaron was responsible for putting right in the center of the camp the golden calf. They began to worship exactly what God told them in Exodus chapter 20. He had revealed himself, and they broke the first two commandments. What a group of people that God is dealing with. Immediately after entering into a covenant with God, they're breaking the first two commandments. Thou shalt not have any graven images or any likeness of any, uh, anything uh, that is in heaven or that is in the earth beneath or that is in water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow thyself down to them nor serve them, for I the Lord... Thy God am a jealous God. They broke it. They broke it. And you know what happens? God begins to tell Moses, I think I'm just going to obliterate them all. You remember when Moses, no, no, no. And uh, it, it seems a bit rhetorical as God's saying that. God didn't walk on them. He wouldn't walk on them. But the, uh, the fact is they, they had once again, they have once again, gone against the God that loved them and done so much for them. I mean, consider pulling them out of the nation of Egypt. Out of the world power of that day. He did that. What a great deliverance. Uh, chapter 35 through 40, the plan's back on track. The plan's back, to mo um, back in motion. But you know, I want us to notice something in 
Exodus 40 and verse number 35. Something that's very interesting. Remember, the tabernacle's in the center. The presence of God is able to be seen. The Shekinah glory that dwells over, over, uh, over the tabernacle is able to, be, it's able to be seen. But there's still something in between. There's still something. There's not complete and total access. And we see it vividly explained in Exodus 40 and verse number 35. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. What an amazing thing. There was a, there's a bit of a distance yet. Moses was not able to enter in. And I want us to think about this. It wasn't until Jesus Christ came that that, that distance was bridged. But God is over and over. He's just showing these truths about himself. Now, one time a year, uh, one time a year, a priest was able, the high priest was able to go back and bring the, uh, the, 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 the blood into the presence of God, into the holy of holies. But, uh, but even that, it was, it was a very, very sacred and scary time for them um, as, they, as they brought that before God. But God is present but not able to be approached by, by Moses as we, as we come to the close of this book. I want us just to think of a few things as we bring this down in summary. God, God provided a law. He wanted man to be able to see his sin. He wanted man to be able to know his sin. I'm thankful for that, that God didn't leave us in the, in the, in the dark. He wanted us to be able to know our sin. Do this and you live. Don't do this and you die. Do this, you please me. Don't do this, you don't please me. He wanted to see our, our death and our substitution. As he set up the sacrificial system, here's a lamb, didn't do anything to you, but it's going to die because of your sin. He wanted us to be able to see that. The annual day of atonement assumed that this system of daily sacrifices would not be sufficient and that some sins would either be unrecognized or there would be no atonement for them. The, the annual, uh, annually, a general atonement was made for the people putting off the payment of sins for a later time that the time when the Messiah would come and die once for the sins of all his people. But over and over, the Bible says the blood of bulls and goats can't take it away. The blood of Jesus Christ did. But he wanted us to see our our the sacrifice, our death, and the substitution for, us, uh, for, for that death. But then lastly, he wanted us to see and know the Savior. He put the, temp, um, the tabernacle right in the center. He's the answer. He's the answer. And what an amazing God that we serve that, that can lay that out in the, even the earliest books of the Bible, lay all that out for us. And for those that might look at it and say, ah, oh, the, the Bible just seems like this you know, disjunct uh, grouping of books. No, it's one continuous story that's all pointing to the Redeemer, Savior, Jesus Christ. One, one beautiful love story to you and I showing our redemption. Genesis, a covenant God, loving and legal. He goes all the way for us. Exodus, the redeeming God. He's redeeming us out of bondage, not into bondage. Now, let's just think about this. Many people look at Christianity as a system of do's and don'ts. As we're talking with some of our new believers, one of the things that constantly rises up is they think church is all about judgment. Those people are just judgmental people over there. And that's what's in, the, in their mind. And it's amazing to see their eyes open and realize, no, actually it's not. They, they're showing us the way to be out of bondage. 
My life is changing because I come to church and I, I'm allowing God to work in, in my life. And so I just want us to realize much of the world thinks that it's going into bondage. I'm free now. And I'd have to go into bondage in order to get into, the, into religion and, and so on. But God redeems us out of bondage. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. That's why Satan doesn't want the truth out very much right now. Because it brings true freedom. It brings true freedom. And we see that over and over in these early, early books here as God is bringing them out of Egypt to himself, out of bondage, into freedom, into glorious light, if they would just simply listen. <laughs> and if we would simply listen to. We'd find the same, uh, same God, the same goodness that he's shown towards them. And so, John 8, in verse 36, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Praise God, and let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to look into your word tonight. I pray that we'd bring that freedom to others, even this week. Lord, that we'd share that light with those that are in our workplace, in our homes, our friends, uh, those that you give us to witness to this week. And then, Lord, we just, once again, we want to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and we want to ask that you would, through the missionaries and the witnesses that you have in that land right now, we pray that you would lift up the Messiah in their lives, give them doors of opportunity. May the assembly of the saints be very sweet there uh, in these days. Would you protect them? Would you provide all that they need to do your will? And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.